Greetings, friends. My name is Weston Nakamura from Blockworks Macro in Tokyo. It is Asia Markets Close. Welcome to the Market Depth Podcast, bringing you global market commentary and analysis from the Asia Pacific trading session so that so that you know what happened overnight. Three things that we're talking about today. Number one, we are going to review this wild first week, this debut rollout of the Bank of Japan's Yield Curve Control version 2.0. YCCC, Yield Curve Control Control, that hit global markets cross-asset, perhaps a global market near you. So, we're not only going to be looking at the market impact itself, but also the day-to-day policy activities for which Bank of Japan has been very busy in throughout the week that has been impacting markets via Yield Curve Control Control. Second thing, I'm going to do a kind of a, a walkthrough guide of just like the general timeline of a day in the life of JGB market operations in the Bank of Japan, right, from start to end, at which, you know, I'll, I'll point out what happens and when and, and thereby hopefully giving you, you know, a, a bit of clarity amidst the broader confusion, kind of like how when I talk about the Chinese yuan and, you know, the PBOCs. Various efforts to strengthen the currency, you know, they've done a ton of like one-off things here and there, but within the trading day, there are also specific scheduled procedures like the daily yuan fixing at 9.15 a.m., 15 minutes before, you know, cash equity market open, stuff like that, right? And that fixing can therefore set the course of even the cash equity markets thereafter, right? So I'll do a Japan JGB buying operations version of that for you as well. Okay, so let's talk green and red, blinking ticker, markets, all right, Uh, bonds, equities, currencies, even crude oil and gold. And the way that I'm going to go about doing this is just to make sure that you understand that I am doing this because it has relevance for you, U.S. and European and outside of Japan investors of all asset classes, okay? So for every Japan asset class that I bring up, Japan asset class or whatever, I'm going to also follow up right after with a U.S. market comparison or implication so that it's absolutely clear why you or anyone anywhere who trades and invests in anything needs to be aware of what Japan markets are doing at the hands of the Bank of Japan as it relates to your own markets. Now, you might have noticed that this week was a rather turbulent week. Well, maybe not turbulent, but it was certainly a notable week global equity markets that had one of the sharpest single-day sell-offs of the year on Wednesday. But much more notably than that, we have the sovereign bond markets, yields at the long end of yield curves. Bond yields are surging. 10-year U.S. Treasury yield is at a new year-to-day high, and it's been up every day of this week so far. Okay, Why is this happening? Well, there's three narratives out there. Number one, Fitch, the rating agency, they downgraded the United States credit from investment grade down to investment grade. How dare they? Number two, apparently there's a ton of U.S. Treasury bill issuance coming. And then number three, the Bank of Japan. So at least the Bank of Japan did actually make that list, right? But guess which one of those three that I'm putting the most weight on? So actually, first of all, as I always say, there's never a single driver of any market, especially global macro markets, okay? There never is, and not only that, but there are always going to be multiple simultaneous drivers, each with different levels of contribution. So all three of them are relevant and are impacting markets, okay? And then with regards to the second and third one, right, Treasury Bill issuance and Bank of Japan policy, those are sort of one and the same, right? Because... Look, long end of U.S. Treasury yields, right? Those are spiking. U.S. yield curve is steepening. Because why? Because of a sell-off in the long end of U.S. Treasuries in advance of, what, $100 billion of, of issuance, of extra interest at the long end coming in, you know, above expectations and worries of who will absorb this new supply and who will be there to buy all this, right? Well, that, that question is directly relevant to the world's largest foreign creditor to the United States, then that would be the Japanese investor. So that's why they're one and the same, okay? So this question of, like, debt issuance, like, causing the sell-off, it's perfectly legitimate. And if it stems from who will buy, and that used to be at least 
the Japanese as an answer, but now with this new BOJ policy uh, as of this past Friday, that previously reliable Japanese marginal buyer being there is not so clear anymore. And the reason that it's not so clear anymore suddenly, it's not because of more attractive JGB yields that are now competing with treasuries for Japanese capital, okay? The reason that it's suddenly not so clear anymore is because the Japanese central bank policy itself is suddenly not so clear anymore. This is the core point from my previous episode in which I lay out in great detail what happened at the Bank of Japan policy change meeting, okay? And the confusion, the removal of clarity, the purposeful removal of clarity, and as well as the removal of procedural processes that we've all grown to know, right? And thereby the Bank of Japan's reclaiming of some semblance of control over yield curve control, yield curve control control. That's why it's not so clear anymore who will buy up or mop up this new issuance of treasury debt. And not so much the actual, you know, more juicy yields themselves on JGBs. So, yes, obviously, the Bank of Japan suddenly lifting the JGB 10-year yield cap by double what it was, you know, suddenly. That's going to have a massive impact on global bond yields surging this week without question. But it's not just this one meeting that this happens, okay? The Bank of Japan has impacted the U.S. Treasury market on almost every meeting in the recent, I don't know, you could call it, you could, it's like several years really, but most prominently within, you know, the last several meetings. Let's call it like the last year or so. Um, to differing degrees, but you can actually see that there is directional market impact directly on the United States Treasury market, okay? And sometimes rather dramatically. So before I go over the recent and current market price activity. Let me just show you a few charts from recent Bank of Japan meetings and the enormous impact that followed, the enormous impact on the U.S. Treasury markets that followed, okay, just to frame up the current times properly. Okay, so first, this is from MUFG research that shows what 10-year JGB yields have done at and around Bank of Japan policy meetings, okay? So I was on Twitter Spaces by, um, being interviewed by Michael Gaia this week. I was very, very honored to uh, have been asked by him to, to come on, last minute as it was. Um, and if you haven't heard it, please take a listen to it. If I remember to, I will leave a link in the description to this. But if not, it's on my Twitter feed. You know, so during which I had basically reiterated what I've been saying since March of this year, like during the the month of insane bond market volatility and yields collapsing that we saw in March of this year, that was indeed initiated by the March Bank of Japan policy release of no change. Yes, a no change could move markets that much. And no, it was not Silicon Valley Bank only or if at all but certainly not initiated by Silicon Valley Bank, and I'll show you why right now. A no change in policy, by the way, this was Governor Crota's last meeting, but this no change policy, this triggered a massive short covering of JGB and JGB futures short positions that were betting on yield curve control um, policy bans to widen in the March meeting that did not happen. And so this short covering scramble immediately sliced the 10-year JGB yield in half or more within like a day or two. And then that subsequently spilled over into other global bond markets, such as German boons and U.S. treasuries, for which we saw also stunning moves, okay? Like front-end yields getting crushed by 100 basis points or more within just days, setting new records on German bonds, and setting... Biggest price swings on U.S. Treasuries going back to 1987 to Black Monday. That's the type of sizable moves that I am talking about and the velocity of them. And this was also when many macro hedge funds um, took huge losses or they just shut down altogether due to this like r- ridiculous rate volatility that I had been discussing in my very first few episodes of Market Depth at the time. Um, for for all of the, those of you who have been following me since the Garage Band days, uh, the old school listeners, this is also reflected in a massive surge 
on the Move Index, which measure, measures bond market volatility and what triggered this explosion of bond market volatility and the move to spike. It was the March 2023 Bank of Japan policy meeting in combination with extreme one-sided wrong positioning and a structurally damaged bond market in which functionality and trading liquidity had been destroyed due to years of central banks' massive presence in government bond markets via QE and whatnot, yield curve control, QE. Um, And these are markets that are supposed to be liquid and stable, but instead, because of things like QE and central bank intervention for, um, you know, in such size and for as long as they did it, those markets instead became illiquid and erratic. And so when there's sudden volume flowing in, to either direction that you know unveils itself the, the fact that government bond markets are not as liquid and not as stable as they are expected to be relied on to be and used to be all right now macro hedge funds that have not only weathered volatility storms in the past right but they've also absolutely thrived and made a killing during macro volatility events over Decades from 1997, age of financial crisis, you know, dot-com bubble burst, 9-11, 2001, 2008, subprime mortgage crisis, the U.S. debt ceiling, the European debt crisis, like on and on and on and on, right? Obviously, COVID and all that. Macro hedge funds that have not only weathered volatility macro storms in the past, but rather they've absolutely killed it. They, you know, they've thrived in periods of of macro volatility um, over decades decades of doing so right well in march of 2023 of this year we've seen a lot of them selling just get blown up why it's not because they like all just simultaneously lost their touch or something what changed and what they weren't aware of what changed was the actual functionality and the you know of transacting in in government bond markets themselves right the characteristics of like Trading liquidity, narrow bid-ask spreads that had blown out, or even actual supply of bonds available to trade, the, the bonds themselves, um, collateral issues. Like, all these things that were taken as such a given that they put zero thought into it, those things were, were no, no longer there. They were gone, or they were severely distorted. And to what degree, you know, a particular sovereign bond market is you know, dysfunctional is directly related to how intrusive that respective central bank is or was in that bond market via years of QE and active participation and presence in bond markets, okay? QE is not just like the general price distortions of suppressing yields. It's also, you know, as a side effect, it's distortions in or vanishing of supply of bonds, as well as the quantity and the makeup of market participants and actors like market makers and such, um, who are now absent from what used to be the traditional market structure before intrusive central banks. And then for the few that are still left, they have severely limited trading capacities. And so therefore, as I've been saying for seemingly forever now, this phenomenon is most evident in the JGB markets, okay? Because, proportionally, BOJ, the Bank of Japan, is by far the most intrusive of all the central banks in its own government bond market and running QE for the longest period of time and in the most aggressive manner by far. The Bank of Japan has been buying and owns so many JGBs relative to what, kind of, you know, the amount of float that's out there particularly at the 10-year tenor of JGBs, for which yield curve controls explicitly targets, right? There's basically just so in such a massive part of that particular tenor of the market that you actually have a situation where you have different 10-year JGBs with completely different prices and yields, issue by issue, okay? So this is a chart from Bloomberg, okay? These are yields... For two different 10-year JGB issues, JGB issuance number 368 and JGB issuance number 369, which were initially issued or born just, you know, three months apart from one another, okay? They should be basically the same exact thing. Now, after 
Bank of Japan shock lifted yield curve control bands in the December of 2022. And that immediate, like, record size bond buying that was done in January of 2023 that amounted to 50% more QE done in a few days by BOJ than the Fed was doing in, you know, a, a month's time at the their own peak QE, right? As I discussed in the last episode. During that period of extreme QE buying up JGBs, bidding for unlimited JGB-10s, these two JGBs, number 368 and 369, which used to have the same yield, as you can see, there, you know, there's a point where issue number 369 was yielding close to 50 basis points by the yield curve control cap, but issue number 368 was yielding in the teens, like 17 basis points. Again, both of these are 10-year JGBs that were issued just like four months apart from one another. Okay, one of them yielding 50, the other is yielding under 20. That is called market dysfunction and market distortion and illiquidity and obviously pricing issues and, and so on and so forth. Okay, this is what the JGB market looked like and by large still does look like. Okay, here's another screenshot of the same two 10 year JGBs from March. Okay, number 368 in issue number 369. Again, one bond, two yields. All right, so March's extreme global bond market price action that stemmed out of Japan that was triggered by a Bank of Japan policy meeting catalyst, and then that had then subsequently spilled out into other global bond markets such as European and U.S. bond markets, as you can see, and as I've talked about it before in my first few episodes of Market Depth. And as I'm always pointing out, this close correlation between U.S. Treasury yields and dollar yen, especially the front end of U.S. Treasury yield, which was also f acknowledged by Bloomberg finally in March, that, that came out right before the March BOJ you know global yield collapse, with dollar yen and two-year yields tightly correlated, and you know highly crowded and soon to be very wrongly positioned levered hedge funds betting on a further widening of yield curve control that did not happen in March. Well, that's why you get a collapse in dollar yen and front end US Treasury yields. That's one of this is just one of many spillovers and cross asset cross regional market ties stemming out of a Bank of Japan catalyst, right? Just one of many examples of where the connections and tie ins are. Okay? And as I said at the time, because bond markets are broken, right? We therefore have to be very careful of not ascribing too much of what we see happening in markets and market price action as some sort of reflection of like market participant fundamental views and like their purposeful positionings and all that kind of thing, right? And that this notion of like markets know all, markets are the truth, they are telling us that the Fed will do XYZ despite the Fed what the Fed says and blah, 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 right? Or that bond markets are saying that we will be in recession or further inflation or disinflation or deflation or whatever it is, right? No, we need to question that very uh, seriously because market price action is not solely and purely just all new positions being opened by market participants who are expressing their view on the direction of the policy um, or, or the economy overall, right? Market price action is also a reflection of existing positions getting exited out of, and often that's forced position exiting, and it's being executed in a price indiscriminate manner due to extreme and unforeseen volatility, which then triggers more forced price indiscriminate position fleeing and closing in a self-feeding, you know, feedback cycle, okay? So, that week in March of this of this year of 2023, with that near record collapse in two-year U.S. Treasury yields following, you know, JGB 10-year yields that got cut in half, immediately following the Bank of Japan's no-change decision, as well as March JGB futures expiry and this kind of scrambling around of those with short JGB futures positions that were still open into expiry who are now on the hook to find and deliver physical JGBs to holders of long JGB futures contracts after expiry, right? These guys are basically looking for 
the quote cheapest to deliver physical JGBs to deliver. The problem is that said JGBs simply don't exist out there because the Bank of Japan not only owns like the supply of so many of JGBs, but the Bank of Japan had been and still is purposely targeting cheapest to deliver 10-year JGBs in their fixed-rate unlimited buying operations. They're bidding up the price of specifically the cheapest to deliver JGB issues, issue by issue, and thereby making them not so cheap to deliver if available at all to deliver. And if they're not available, the Bank of Japan can lend them to you from its own vault, but that will also cost you. It will cost you an interest rate to do so. Interest rate that they had just increased by fourfold just earlier in this year, uh, prior to this March JGB expiry, okay? All of that, well, that's what's called getting widowed by the Bank of Japan for shorting JGBs and also for not rolling your futures short position and holding it to expiry. And by the way, that roll of, you know, getting out of the March short and into a June JGB futures short, that roll spread also was very prohibitively expensive as well, which is why a lot of short uh, JGB futures position holders just held through expiry. That week, foreigners bought the most JGBs ever on record. And then that same exact week, we also saw Japanese investors buy the most U.S. treasuries on record, only with the exception of a week in March of 2020. Other than that freak week of March 2020, other than if you exclude that, that was the most buying of U.S. treasuries by Japanese investors on record, simultaneously as foreigners bought the most JGBs on record. And that lends to yields plunging at record velocity. And on a policy of nothing, a policy of being unchanged, and how that could all stem out of Japan, but stems from the most illiquid markets to the less illiquid markets. And you can see that the price action extremities getting less and less extreme um, as you move out towards markets that have, you know, relatively speaking, less of a, an intrusive central bank in meddling in their government bond markets over the years. Extreme easing policy out of Bank of Japan leads to extreme conditions of illiquidity and market dysfunction and extremely crowded one-side positioning gone wrong can lead to extreme market moves in JGB markets. And when extreme moves happen in JGB markets, that can spill out to broader markets outside of Japan. That's the concept that I have been reiterating seemingly forever. The Bank of Japan changing yield curve control risk, right, isn't as much about this repatriation of Japanese capital out of global fixed income markets and back to Japan for a juicy 65 basis point yield on 10-year JGBs. Yeah, that, that exists, but that's a much, much slower process. Rather, the risk is the, this extremely messed up market structure that can trigger and reverberate extreme movements elsewhere, okay? Now, I mentioned this again in my Twitter spaces with Michael Guyad from earlier this week, but that historically volatile move in global bond markets in March 2023 from this no-change Bank of Japan decision and a scramble for the exit doors at any price, you know, uh, doors that don't allow for everyone to exit at the same time due to structural deficiencies in markets that are expected to not exhibit those poor trading liquidity characteristics. All of that had resulted in this like severe collapse of yields or bonds being bought or bought back to cover. Okay, But what I was talking to Michael Guyad was, what if that were to happen again, but just in the other direction? In other words, yields to spike by 100 basis points. Imagine U.S. Treasury yields, you know, 30-year Treasury yields spiking by 100 basis points in like three days. Well, first of all, we already know what that scenario looks like to some degree. We already know what happens in that scenario. Just look no further than late September or early October of 2022 in the U.K. gilt market when 30 and 40-year U.K. gilts and gilt yields spiked over 100 basis points, one full percent in a few days a just 
straight-up forced fire sale unwind by levered UK pension funds in a self-destructive feedback loop. Selling, begetting, selling, begetting, selling. And then what then happened? Well, the Bank of England comes in with emergency yield curve control, offering to buy an unlimited amount of long-dated UK yields while in the middle of a rate-hiking cycle, mind you. Just to pause markets for a second, right, and to prevent an otherwise inevitable implosion if left unchecked, at, unchecked as is, okay? Just like acting like a circuit breaker, right? So that's the actual reality and the reason history to just keep in mind and in context as we now take a look at this week in markets following Bank Japan's shock lifting of yield curve controls upper bands at last Friday's policy meeting, okay? This week is certainly not the first time by any stretch that Bank of Japan policy is being visible outside of Japan and in the U.S. Treasury markets. Okay, so first, again, what happened with 10-year JGB yields? They rose by about 20 basis points, which might not sound like much, but if your starting point is 45 basis points or so, then that's a massive move, okay? Currently, 10-year JGBs are now at decade highs, and they're certainly higher than when yield curve control was first rolled out. When yield curve control was first sold out, actually, 10-year JGB yields were yielding negative, and yield curve control was actually initially put in place in order to steepen the yield curve and to get yields higher, or at least yielding into positive territory. Now, that is obviously no longer the objective and purpose of yield curve control. Now, as we've seen time and time again, sharp directions, directional moves in JGB markets spill out and impact these other sovereign bond markets in the same direction. So what happened in the other bond markets this week at the long duration end or at the 10-year end? Well, yields went up a lot. 10-year U.S. Treasury yields are now at year-to-day highs. But... But but what about the Fitch downgrade and what about the new issuance and, and all that? Okay, look, like I said, those things happened and yes, they contributed. Okay, but was the, was that the real primary driver? Okay, like fit, like Fitch downgrading? No. Okay, issuance? No. And by the way, I don't know if people realize this, but the discourse around those two things they kind of self-contradict one another, okay? While it is completely true that the U.S. has lots of debt outstanding and will have more going forward, that's always been the case. It's nothing new. And U.S. debt outstanding and rising is actually so plainly obvious fact that it's arbitrary and meaningless to downgrade U.S.'s credit rating, right? That's basically how that brush-off goes. Okay, well, if that's the case, then... Shouldn't the very issuance of more U.S. debt this week also be meaningless and arbitrary of an event? Even if it was more than what, you know, just random 20 primary dealers on average had thought it would be, it's the the debt issuance thing, that's actually more of a routine non-catalyst than the Fitch downgrade action, because that doesn't happen routinely. Um, but the United States issuing ever more debt routinely is a routine thing. Okay, so let's just take a look at cross-asset markets from this week. First of all, we have the 10-year JGB yield, now uh, new kind of you know, decade highs. We have the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield, which is about 10 basis points shy of the October 2022 highs, which, let me remind you at the time, the reason that that was reversed downwards was because the Japan Ministry of Finance smacked dollar-yen downwards by five big figures in its second unilateral intervention, and that put the very top tick in 10-year U.S. Treasury yields as well, down to the minute that that happened. Um, and But for now, if 10-year U.S. Treasury yields actually moved just 10 basis points or so higher from these current levels, now we're talking about hitting levels pre-2008 highs on the 10-year risk-free rate. Also, by the way, note that this June BOJ meeting, that put the low in for JGB-10s for that period and then turned that trend back upwards, right? Yeah, that happened on 10-year U.S. Treasury yields at that very moment, too, as you can see. That's the June Bank of Japan day 
that had put that bottom in or that turnaround in on U.S. treasuries as well. And obviously this current surge upwards that got kicked off not by the Bank of Japan policy release moment itself, but be- but from the moment that the Nikkei, you know, dropped that policy leak hours earlier. But for now, it seems like the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield might not hit those kind of 2007 level highs for the time being, as, as in for this very moment. Um, and why? Because 10-year U.S. Treasury yield directional price action and the velocity of the move this week has been predicated on that of the 10-year JGB yield, which is, I don't want to say managed, but is being heavily influenced and intervened upon um, at the Bank of Japan's discretion. And it seems that for this moment of the last trading day of the week, JGB 10s have seemingly stabilized for now after moving 20 base points higher within five trading days or so. And by the way, this kind of relatively orderly move would never be able to occur if not for this new method of ambiguous policy confusion and all that that's being purposely utilized as the primary sort of function of the Bank of Japan. Um, But this sort of, I guess, orderly move upwards, this is why you're seeing a move upwards in the first place in U.S. Treasuries, but not a blasting move upwards. And this is why I'm saying that we're kind of, we might be topping out at least for this immediate moment because it seems that 10-year JGB yields are. And U.S. Treasuries have been following JGB yields all week. All right. Now, speaking of 10-year yields, Treasury yields, and dollar yen. Well, here they are. Now, dollar yen, or the yen in general, as I expressed in the previous episode upon my overall take to the Bank of Japan in the first place, has been frustrating and confusing to figure out, to pinpoint and explain price action for the week, the yen, okay? As in, like, it's in its own world, the yen, and it just re-correlates to existing trends inconsistently in and out. You know, it used to be that with the previous yield curve control regime and the JGB yield that was pinned down, that meant that the U.S. to JGB yield spread was a function of only the U.S. side, right? But now the JGB yield is also a moving factor in addition to the U.S. or whatever other currency pairs yield side. But even currently, though, dollar-yen has split off from just the nominal yield spreads altogether. Um, At the beginning of the week, it was more so, in my view, just like policy confusion and disagreements that had dislocated these various markets, and I'm sure that phenomenon is still going on um, and won't be over anytime soon. But with that said, I think I could perhaps make at least one more directional, one last directional view or call on the yen in the near term, okay? And that is one of near-term yen strength or dollar-yen downside, and I had actually already publicized this view uh, and these charts on you know on a Twitter thread earlier this week because the price action was already starting to happen before I could get this this episode out and so because at that point i had i already had all the currency charts together i had like that section prepared i had that view so i just i guess pre-leaked it on twitter okay and by the way this is why you should follow me at across the spread this is why these charts aren't updated they're like two days old so just keep that in mind so the yen bull call in the immediate term is based on two points very simply, it's just, once again, me looking at yen futures and not spot dollar yen. And the second point is I'm looking at options on yen futures. Okay, those are points one and two. So for yen futures, this is just a simple call of yen upside based on the yen futures bouncing off of this, this seven level of support, as I had mentioned back in June, about just a month ago. That is a very, very scrappy level of support that caps spot dollar yen upside, okay? And I think that that is underway now. And the second point is on the options on yen futures, for which monthly options expiry for yen futures is Friday, end of the week of, you know, end of this week, last trade date. And there is a ton of open interest that will then vanish. And there's also a ton of activity leading up to it. Okay, if you look at the rising volumes and rising open interest um, on this chart from CME in the last few days on options on yen futures, 
It's another reason for the erratic yen um, price swings and price action over the, the last few days. This is like literally implied volatility at work and going into expiry. There's basically about 2.2 billion notional. $2.2 billion notional in monthly options um, set to expire for Friday's last trade date. And puts and calls, uh, open interest are outstanding, are pretty much like dead even in, tr in terms of a ratio. Calls have sort of like these 1,000 lot increments that are just laddered upwards per strike. And then the puts, there's just basically two large strikes just below the seven level where the bulk of the open interest is kind of concentrated in. But if you just recall last month, virtually the same exact setup, where at the seven support level, you know, coinciding with monthly expiry and still significant amount of short positioning that can squeeze to the upside, i.e. pull spot dollar yen down a few handles over the next few days, while spot dollar yen, you know, now abandoned by JGB yield curve control, spot dollar yen has now run away from home goes out to find itself and its soul and therefore you know i think that you, know, you see the futures market just get squeezed you're going to see a, a ton of these options just basically expire vanish roll off and you're going to see upside in an otherwise directionless spot usd jpy all right so that's it for currency or for the yen which you'll never hear me speak of again no, i'm just kidding or half kidding all right equities now let me ask you, are you the U.S.-based U.S. investor perhaps wondering why the NASDAQ had one of its worst single-day sell-offs in the middle of this week before NASDAQ heavyweight earnings? Well, perhaps it's because the Nikkei sold off, obviously. All right? The Nikkei had a um, more than minus 2% day, led by you know semiconductor names, trading houses, basically whatever was doing best year-to-date, that was getting profit taken. NDX futures fall suit just as it had been throughout the BOJ and pre-BOJ headline-related moments, just as it had been to the upside from May of this year, going further back, okay? And I purposely included that pre-BOJ part of the Nikkei futures versus NDX futures percentage performance. I purposely kept that in there so that you can see right here with your very own eyes that the NASDAQ 100 index futures spike and crash and spike from the 27th and the 28th that is the nasdaq 100 moving on bank of japan headlines in tandem with the nikkei 225 index and why is this doing this as i've talked about before because it's foreign capital in the nikkei and in japan equities much of it is american capital and that american capital is obviously very cognizant of bank of japan if not reacting to it, or certainly reacting to it. And so you have a tie-in with home-based NASDAQ, in addition to systematic flows and whatnot. But again, I just wanted to show you, as promised, the very visible United States equity market impact and its implications to the Bank of Japan, why it is that I flag all this to you, to a foreign audience, as much as I do. Okay, This is not for Japan. It, I do it because it affects your markets and your portfolios outside of Japan. All right. So we've covered bonds, currencies, futures and options on currencies and equities. Here's a strategy. Carry trade. Aussie N versus the Nikkei. Note that this included in this is in the AUD downside move is the RBA, the Reserve Bank of Australia, who also had a policy meeting of not hiking rates this week uh, at their policy meeting that led to Aussie dollar and Aussie yen downside. And so that coupled with, you know, some bouts of yen strength against it, um, leading to Aussie yen downside. And it looks pretty tightly correlated, bottoming towards the end of the week here um, against Nikkei futures. Now on to commodities. Dollar yen and WTI crude. Sometimes they pair up, sometimes they split off, and sometimes they switch back and forth between correlating and not correlating, and they do so very rapidly. And here's a perfect example of that. And this is more for crude traders, crude oil traders, okay? But that huge midweek drop in crude into the 70 handle, then rallying right back into that 80 handle, 
Don't fall for fake sell-offs. Just follow the dollar-yen guidance and just take advantage of the opportunity to go long if Sensei dollar-yen says so. No, I'm kidding, of course. It's not that simple. Only in hindsight it is. But, look, crude and yen, they do correlate quite tightly um, sometimes. And when they do, they really do. Okay, Japan imports energy. All of it. This summer is ridiculously hot. Okay, So, look, when these two are locked into price action with one another... And then you get an outsized erratic move on one of them, and it's not being confirmed by the other. That could be something to note, if not trade. So that's why I'm showing you this. All right. All right. And then on to gold. Now, I normally show you this as gold futures and yen futures, right? But now I'm just going to show you gold futures and spot dollar yen inverse as a chart, okay? Which is basically the same thing in terms of price action. Now, um, yes, like pretty close correlation remains, but the reason I wanted to mention gold this time was specifically this. This was a very temporary but very significant drop move in gold futures that you can see, right? As we know, futures markets that move the split second that some headline comes out, that is not like human beings, you know, like reading at the speed of light pondering what to do analyzing and then making the buy or sell decisions and then executing the order in the markets within like nanoseconds okay those are the, those kind of moves are systematic and algo driven algo driven moves that correlate futures markets specifically but what you're seeing here is one of them is broken or both right but they can get erratic and misread a signal like this sometimes in an unclear statement or whatever it is i've seen this before many times right and the reason, uh, you know, I'm not I'm not blaming the gold algo for the drop is because I think that the subsequent yen confusion that you see upon the policy release in the next day or two, you know, of dollar yen up or down or what have you, that's confusing everyone, including me. That could very well be either throwing off other asset class price act action or is being thrown off by other asset class price action. Either way, yet another possible yen sort of explainer i guess if you will okay let's now go into looking into a day in the life of jgb buying operations by the bank of japan i'm going to use jgb futures to do so okay so these are september jgb futures you could obviously clearly see what you know the meeting day and you know via both the price action bar down as well as the volume spike um and the reason I like to use JGB futures as a go-to because of what I showed earlier with cash JGBs having multiple yields and like that kind of issue. And also because futures, you can see volume as well in addition to price action. And JGB futures are also aren't half owned by the Bank of Japan themselves either. You know, this is a free market of derivatives with an underlying asset of a state-controlled market. Um also by the way jgb futures open interest is currently at all-time highs so obviously there's a that's where the activity is so this is what i look for um for jgb intraday cues if you will okay so this is the like overnight you know nikkei press leak that kicks off this whole downside move um on volume right but then the real volume actually comes in at jgb am market open like a few hours, a few hours later, hence me walking you through this day in the life of, okay. And I'll get to that in a minute. Then the BOJ policy statement release itself. Note that the volume isn't too much more than that AM market on open volume. As in these are market on open sell JGB futures orders by Asia based traders. And then the volume largely dies off, you know, for the Ueda press conference and then drops off altogether thereafter for the day. But look at the next several days, okay, both in price action and in volume profile. Does it look like a one-and-done event? No, it doesn't. Why not? Because it's not a one-and-done event. Because, again, the Bank of Japan is actively in and out of the markets as as we're in this currently in this gray zone of not knowing where in the hell their policy levels are. That's why this time is different. Okay, from any policy of any modern central bank, as per my last episode. That's why you need to know 
when and what time things that we do know that are still kind of in, in place in structure uh, exist, right? Because you'll see things like this, right? In which it says the BOJ made a, quote, unscheduled purchase. And that sounds alarming, right? I'm sure that you've all seen something like this before. Or if you're just skimming on Twitter, you might see something like this. And I'll show you why this particular meme is almost it's embarrassingly misused, okay? Um, and then things like this, right? I mean, they seem arbitrary almost, but they're they're really not, okay? So first and foremost, as I explained in the last episode, two main ways the Bank of Japan buys JGBs in the you know in the market. One is via a fixed rate op, which is a bid for unlimited. Currently, those bids are for cheapest to deliver 10-year GDPs and other specific 10-year GDP issuances at the price of 100 basis points in yield and the quantity of unlimited. And that's a standing offer out there every day, okay? But another way that they buy GDPs is via good old-fashioned QE, these competitive rate auctions or competitive rate purchases. Um these are basically pre-scheduled, predetermined buying operations that specify what days that the Bank of Japan will be buying and what JGB tenor and how much approximately in quantity and all that. Okay, this is what that schedule looks like. This is the newest one that was released at the start of, you know, this past month, start of every month. And it's subject to change always, okay? Now, as you can see, these amounts themselves are also approximate, right? says that in the second column, you know, purchase size per auction, and then there's kind of a range, right? So what happens is on the days in which the Bank of Japan is buying JGBs, that's when they specify the exact details of what they're going to be offering to buy. You know, 500 billion yen of JGBs between five-year and 10-year maturity and so on for, for these sort of competitive rate auctions. And... They do this detail unveiling at 10.10 a.m. Japan time on the days that they're buying. 10.10 a.m. Sounds random. There's probably a functional reason for it, for which I don't know. I don't really care. 10.10 a.m. Japan time, okay? Currently, that's 9.10 p.m. Eastern for the United States until daylight savings or whatever. 10.10 a.m. Japan, right? And in the old days of pre-April 2022 before fixed rate operations became a standing daily thing and instead they were like an as-needed operation to offer to buy unlimited quantities of 10-year JGBs that announcement about fixed, opera fixed rate operations that would also go out at 10 10 a.m but now it's just a daily thing that's just there either way 10 10 a.m is what you need to drill in your head because that's the time catalyst that the Bank of Japan can move the direction of JGB and thereby global bond markets directionally, okay? Whether or not it's in their favor or against them or whatever it is, if it works out, in, you know, or if it fails, 10, 10 a.m. is battle time. Here are JGB futures chart um, covering the day of August 3rd of this week, okay? So JGB futures... There is an AM session market open at 8.45 AM, and cash JGBs open at 9 AM along with cash equities. Um, but 8.45 AM market open, this is when that overnight stuff gets executed and priced in right off the bat, as you can see in like the volume spike, even in this chart, okay? JGBs close for trading at 11 AM for the AM session close. They reopen at 12.30 PM for the PM session. The 12.30 PM open is very important as well, and I'll show you why in a second and then finally the 3 p.m that's p.m days close right that's the, the full trading day of, uh, on futures although actually they did extend jgb cash jgb trading hours recently but whatever the future session closes then we'll just leave it at that so if you just look at this notice market open that's when the most volume goes through for this particular day p.m session open you know market kind of trades down from that from there uh, and then the volume and the price picks up into market close, right? Now, within that day, however, 
at 10 10 a.m as i mentioned a billion times just now 10 10 a.m is when any jgb buying up announcement or offer out to the dealers happens okay so notice the price action prior to 10.10, just kind of aimlessly wandering around, and then after 10.10 a.m., when it is decidedly a sell-off on JGBs for this particular day. Now, the reason that 12.30 p.m. open is important is because that's also the same time that BOJ um, releases the results of its buying ops, right? So basically, if you participated in selling JGBs to the Bank of Japan earlier that morning, this is when you would find out how, how many you were able to get done, right? If it's not an unlimited bid, like a fixed rate option situation. And so once I kind of overlay these, then perhaps the price action might make a bit more structured sense, right? And so going back to this or this, like these so-called quote unscheduled purchases or that's sometimes labeled as like quote emergency bond buying like bank of japan does an emergency round bond buying whenever you see headlines like that okay all that unscheduled means is that the bank of japan will, will be buying jgbs on a day that previously wasn't on the schedule as they're supposed to be doing in this new framework of flexibility okay and then also, it's definitely not some so-called emergency buying operation if if it's not at the upper, you know, hard cap, upper limit battle zone, okay? Like, there's no emergency otherwise. Now, note that these buying ops can go out at any time of day, okay? So, for this one in particular, I'm commenting on, on Twitter, this one was announced in the afternoon, hence me talking about it at, what, 1.25 p.m., and actually, note the date. This is August 3rd, right, of this week. And so, if you go back to this competitive op monthly schedule, you'll see that August 3rd was not a date that was preset on the schedule. August 2nd was, but August 3rd was not. So that's what makes this a so-called, quote, unscheduled JGB buying operation. Because it wasn't on the original schedule that was printed and released at the start of the month at that time. But the BOJ wants to buy JGBs nonetheless. And so what? So what's the big deal, right? Calling it unscheduled is, I suppose it's accurate. But it's not if it has some sort of like kind of urgency negative connotation to it. And again, it's definitely not some emergency bond buying just because it's not on this, you know, once a month printed and now purposely flexible sort of schedule. Okay, so on this particular day of the th uh, of the third of August, the Bank of Japan did one hundred billion more of buying as a three to five year tenor and three hundred billion more for the five year to ten year tenor. Okay, now let's take a look at Monday the thirty first. This is the first full day under new YCCC given. Friday, the previous Friday, was the policy release and press conference after market hours. Now, note that this was not a pre-scheduled JGB buying op day in, like, the calendar, all right? So, here are Nikkei futures over the course of the day. When does the market turn? At 10.10 a.m. upon notice of the Bank of Japan's unscheduled bond buying activity. That's top tick on equities for the day, okay? But that actually does reverse and drop JGB yields, at least for a moment. But nonetheless, it does, right? It doesn't last for the rest of the day, as you can see. Hopefully, you're starting to see this significance of 10.10 a.m., this specific time. Now, let's add 10-year U.S. Treasury yield on top in blue. And guess what happens at 10.10 a.m. Japan time to the 10-year United States Treasury risk-free rate. It stops surging and it reverses downwards instantly, right alongside 10-year JGB yields. Now look, I don't care about the particular direction of the movement. All I care about is that it's happening at that exact time. Now why? The Bank of Japan doesn't touch U.S. Treasuries. Why should the U.S. Treasury market react to this? Because, as I keep saying and as I keep showing you, 
JGB and tr Treasury yields can indeed be intercorrelated intraday, and they certainly were this week. There's zero reason for U.S. Treasury yields to have surged upwards to begin with before 10, 10 a.m. Japan time, but then suddenly reversed down at and after 10, 10 a.m. Japan time. There's no other reason or no other thing that is happening in the world that would be related other than that is the time that the Bank of Japan announces its activity for the day and therefore moves JGB yields. It's following the JGB yields throughout the rest of the day as well. So, do you now see why this matters? By this, I don't mean just 10, 10 a.m. operations. I mean why the Bank of Japan as a whole matters. The Bank of Japan's open market activity can and has and will impact the global risk-free rate and on a daily basis, especially now in this current new era. Okay, now let's overlay dollar-yen and look at that. We get movement upon and after 10, 10 a.m. as well. Okay, so it's not just equities or just JGBs or just U.S. Treasuries, but on the United States dollar exchange rate and currency markets as well. Now, take a look at the timeline of opens and closes for AM and PM sessions on cash and futures markets. Any of these can be pivot points for anything. But again, let's just take a look at this blue line, the U.S. Treasury yield, 10-year U.S. Treasury yield. And the PM open, okay, which is the middle right line, the 10-year U.S. yield jumps at Japan PM session open, and then it falls sharply at futures close okay but look don't worry about all these for now i'm getting too much into the weeds the the trader weeds of market times all you need to be aware of is 10 10 a.m okay that's when pre-scheduled buying up details are released or are announced if previously not on the schedule which brings me back to this okay now the reason that this is clearly just misunderstood and misused meme in which it implies the Bank of Japan is somehow, what, like scrambling in panic with like a hurried, unscheduled bond buying operation after just changing yield curve control policy and lifting the upper band the previous trading day or whatever, whatever the hell this implies, right? As I said, quote, unscheduled, literally being unscheduled is absolutely not a big deal at all. And not only that, but it is now supposed to be the new norm. And, dude, you just copied and pasted this headline and put this meme image on it and tweeted it out a minute later after it came out at 10.11 a.m. Clearly not knowing that is the procedure, that is the time that things go out. Okay, it's not a kind of slap the forehead moment. This is a very normal thing for the Bank of Japan to make an announcement at a very normal time. So... Do not be misled by people who don't know what they are talking about and they don't know what they don't know that they don't know what the hell is going on. That's basically what I'm saying. Now, I'm not going to pretend to have figured out everything in this new regime either. I'm the first to say that I'm trying to make sure that you're confused, right? First, but I do know the very basic structures of how this works, and clearly there are people who do not. I'm not talking about one specific person or whatever this is clearly a widely shared meme but just make sure that you're aware of who knows what they're talking about and who doesn't even know that they don't know what they're talking about so what i'm doing is i'm now looking across the yield curve at what different tenors did from that friday pm session after policy release and i see Two-year JGB yields make a significant move, and it's significant because it went from negative into positive yielding territory. So maybe they'd want to push that back down. Um, meanwhile, a 10-year yield on the right side, that's spiked too, but they have the fixed rate hard stop at 100 base points, but that is still very far, far away. And I don't know if two immediately, maybe that wouldn't be a good idea. But then I see five-year JGB yields, which were previously 10 basis points, now at 20. All right, these suckers have doubled immediately in yield. So rate of change-wise, that might be where to hit the curve. And so the unscheduled buying up for that day, 
was three hundred billion more for the five to ten year maturity JGBs, which thereby targets the aforementioned. Okay, and by the way, before anyone like very incorrectly thinks that I'm some sort of genius or something, I'm just letting you know I did all this like reverse engineering after the fact, right? <laughs> like after I found out what BOJ was doing, this, you know, they're they're doing three hundred billion targeting the five ten year range. That's when I looked back and tried to see what part of the curve and all that and tried to figure out why, okay? I don't even know if they're at all related, you know, at all, okay? But that's what we have so far in this first week of YCCC, okay? We still don't know what we don't know yet. Now, let's finish up on back to what I was saying about, you know, this triggering of an explosion of rate volatility across the world. You know, you're probably wondering... Okay, well, so Bank Japan just did the March BOJ policy move, but in the opposite direction. Why? Why isn't the market blowing up the other way around? Like, why aren't we getting that one hundred basis point yield surge upwards in one week on ten-year or thirty-year U.S. Treasuries? Right. Well, several reasons. First of all, just generally speaking, we just we don't know which markets are sitting on a keg of illiquidity dynamite until it happens in real time, or over leverage plus illiquidity in the underlier as per the uk guilt market right but that said no dynamite explosion this week so far despite that change in yield curve control policy upwards right um there's also in the matter of just like trading liquidity generally speaking buyers and sellers with size and ability to transact they can come and go okay and that condition changes constantly and perpetually with every tick of markets but as for like the larger structural deficiency of market functionality that i was talking about look who knows maybe we're right at that edge and we just don't know it as we speak or maybe we're not at all again we won't know until that happens there's no like peak into market mayhem okay um on either side on on like you know yields go blowing up to the upside or yields collapsing like in march okay but in March, that's why there was such a specific concentration of veteran hedge fund blowups from March of this year's volatility, rate volatility, right? That concentration of hedge fund blowups itself reflects that something was being completely overlooked. Um, you know, something that was, they were taking for granted as a given subconsciously even wasn't so. And obviously, those guys were all surprised when that happened. Take the Goldman earnings miss um, from that quarter, which I covered in an episode of Market Depth previously, in which Goldman Sachs was the only one of the you know major Wall Street banks reporting a loss on fixed income trading. Everyone else was making a killing because volatility is good for trading desks, right? Why did Goldman, who was supposed to be leading the pack in that field on fixed trading, why did they not just not make money, but why did they lose money? Because Goldman disproportionately faces hedge fund clients and is thus also thrown into this like extreme rate volatility amidst fast tra- this fast trading world. Um, and so that was obviously came as a surprise like way after the fact. As you can see, you know, in the GS ticker that had moved downwards upon earnings. So even like after the fact, it's hard to detect. Right, we just won't know until we know, and that'll be in real time only. But the most like significant reason that we didn't get a 100 basis point yield blow up event this week is because of the Bank of Japan. Okay, because first of all, the Bank of Japan did not just rip the lid off of yield curve control altogether. Right, there is that hard stop cap at one percent. But more importantly, it's because of what I just walked you through this entire time. It's because the Bank of Japan is also very much hands-on managing this rate or this pace of, you know, the yield move higher on a day-by-day or hour-by-hour, moment-by-moment basis this entire week. Okay. Meanwhile, we market participants are just in this fog of policy and process execution from the market participant standpoint. Okay, but again, that's why this time is a game change in policy framework. Okay, why didn't treasury yields explode higher? Because the Bank of Japan had not been allowing 
for such price behavior and instead has been managing a relatively orderly rise in yields successfully, um, at least so far. Okay. And again, it's not, they're not doing it with the treasury market in mind, let alone, you know, on, on the treasury market directly, they're doing it with JGB yields and JGB markets, but those are inextricably linked. Like I showed you many, many, many examples of, all right. And so that's why the Bank of Japan and its activities matter to all of us, and now more so than ever, right? Like, I used to say that when you have a central bank that is directly involved in buying and selling in the secondary market of, you know, the JGB market, then every day is a BOJ policy, you know, monetary policy day, right? Well my god i've never meant that more now than i ever have before every single day of this week the bank of japan and its actions whether they were in its favor or not successfully or otherwise their actions or inactions were the reason for why the treasury yields moved in the direction that it did and at the pace that it did and so for the love of god or for the love of your portfolio, make sure that you are subscribed to Market Depth on Blockworks Macro. Tell your friends, tell your family, coworkers, whoever you think needs to know this stuff and simply isn't getting any of the even basic info, let alone being kept up to date with whatever's going on out there. That kind of content simply just doesn't exist. I look for it and it's not there. All right. With that said, if you did find any sort of value in this whatsoever, please hit the like button because it certainly helps us and make sure that you are indeed subscribed. And on behalf of Blockworks Macro, my name is Wes Nakamura. We will see you again soon. Thank you. Bye.